The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Chapter 7, verse 14. This is God's Word. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to this passage today that that is tricky to read, tricky to understand. It's a bit confusing, a bit messy. But I think even in the messiness of it, I think it communicates so well what Paul is trying to share with us, which is the messiness of our own souls. That, that even when our thinking is right, so often our actions and our heart motivations don't follow. And so God, pray that as we wrestle with this text this morning, that you would show us the battle that we have before us and remind us of the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Last week between services, I snuck out to the atrium as I normally do and snuck out to the exterior doors just to get some fresh air. And Dick Hassler was out there greeting people, if you know who Dick is. And I walked out and I said, Dick, are you scaring people away? And he said, well, I, as people approach, I just ask them if they sinned this week. And if they had, I tell them to get lost, right? And so I said, keep up the good work, Dick, right? Keep up the good work. You know, we can laugh about something like this, but there are actually certain strands of Christianity that believe that you can go an entire week without sinning. In fact, uh, some people from this strand might say that they have gone three years without sinning. It's been said that way before. I've gone three years without sinning. Whenever I hear that, I just want to ask the person, you must not be married. Like, if you're married, you know that you are a sinner because when you're that close in relationship with another person, it just gets revealed, right? This, uh, this, this movement of holiness is called the holiness movement, and they believe that you receive a second work of grace in which you are cleansed from the tendency to continue in sin. And they, enti- they experience what they call entire sanctification, which leads to Christian perfection. 
And so they think that they can go for a day, a month, three years, a decade without sinning. Now, we may laugh at something like that and not subscribe to it publicly, but I think we do in more subtle ways kind of fall victim to this thought that Christians can become perfect, that they can become sinless. For example, maybe you're sitting here today and you are just crushed because of some sin in your life and you're convincing yourself, if I can just get rid of this one sin, then I'll be a good Christian, right? Or maybe you come today and, and you look around the, the, atri- the auditorium, the, the church, and you say, I'm not like these people. These people have it all together. They have it all figured out. They love Jesus so much more than I do. I'm not like these people. I haven't arrived yet where they are. Or maybe it plays out in this way. Maybe you go to a small group and, and you split up in prayer time and you say, you know, I, I, can't, I can't share what sin's really going on in my life, what I'm really struggling with because these people have it together and I don't. So I'll just tell them to pray for, you know, safe travels to Madison and my grandchildren and my health and things like that because I really can't share what's going on in my life because I haven't arrived like they have. All of these thoughts are anti-gospels that, that Satan wants us to believe because when we believe that we are unlike anybody else in this room, what happens is it draws us to isolation, secrecy, and seclusion, both from God and from other people. This week, Paul is going to dismantle any illusion of Christian perfectionism, and he's going to dismantle it by being brutally and shockingly honest about the own. The, the battle that's going on in his own heart. Now, to kind of lead you to this passage today, I think it's important to understand what Romans chapter 6 and the first half of Romans 7 was talking about. So I just want to recap briefly. If you remember, at the end of Romans chapter 6, we had a, a sermon entitled, Saved to Sin No More. And so Jesus has saved us, he has rescued us, he has delivered us not only from the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin, that we can now conquer sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we looked at our longing to be righteous and how the law of God shows us our unrighteousness, but in Jesus, we are given his record of righteousness and that the Spirit produces the fruit of righteousness inside of us. And so Paul has listed out over the last chapter and a half how Christians can have victory over sin. Now, When you follow that train of thought, and I'm I'm imagining the first people reading this, they may have come to the conclusion before this passage today that they can live a life without sin, that they can live a life without struggling with sin. And so Paul wants to make it painfully clear today that although it is completely true that we are saved to sin no more, although it is completely true that we have been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ, Although it is completely true that we have been given the Spirit to bear the fruit of righteousness, that until you die, you will battle against your flesh and against sin. You see, your body is a battlefield because inside every single Christian, there are two forces at work, two forces waging war against one another. On one side of the battle lines, you have the Spirit of God, you have our redeemed mind and heart, and you have the law of God. On the other side, you have indwelling sin and unredeemed flesh and cravings of evil. And so today, we're going to study these two 
armies that are facing off against each other that dwell inside the life of a Christian. And so first, I want to look at what Paul calls the mind of a Christian, a renewing mind of the Christian. Later in this letter in Romans chapter 12, you can flip a few pages if you want. In verse 2, Paul says this. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Okay, not of your heart, although that's true too, but by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what, the will, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, by the power of God through the Holy Spirit, when we are around the church, when we're around Scripture, when we're around God's truths, God is renewing our mind through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he reshapes our understanding of life. He gives us a different biblical world and life view. He teaches us a right view of humanity, a right view of money, a right view of sensuality, a right view of parenting, a right view of human life. And so God is continually reshaping and redeeming and renewing our minds. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16, Paul says something that is unthinkable. The first part is very believable. He says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? The answer, nobody has. Nobody has had the mind of the Lord to instruct God. And then Paul says this, But we have the mind of Christ. Did you know that? Did you know that if you are a Christian, that Jesus has not only given you a new heart, but Jesus has also given you a new mind? This means that, that God doesn't just want you to feel his love. He wants you to think about his love, to study his love, to understand his love, to know who God is, not just in your heart, but in your head. This pushes against many religions and also many strands of Christianity that will say, we just need to feel the presence of God here, right? Feeling the presence of God is great, but Paul's calling out our mind. He's saying God is redeeming you holistically, and that includes your brain. That God wants you to think and to know and to study who he is and what he has done and his love for you. In Christ, God has given us a new mind, the mind of Jesus. And he has not only renewed our mind, he's continually renewing our mind with the truths of God's word. Paul brings this into focus in this passage. Verse 23, Paul says, But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. I don't know if you've ever seen that before in this passage. And then later on in verse 25, midway through, he says, So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. What Paul is saying here isn't hard to understand. Paul is saying that I have, be, I have received a renewed mind in Christ and God is continually renewing it and changing it and helping me to understand the truths of God and that has penetrated down to my heart. As he says in verse 22, he says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Paul knows now. Paul has understood that the law is a good thing, that it is a wonderful thing, that it is a glorious thing. That the law of God is not an obstacle to his happiness. It is not hoops to jump through. It is not a means of attaining righteousness and acceptance before God. But the law is a gift from God given to his children who he loves and delights in that they might live the best life they're called to live in Christ. And so Paul has a renewed mind. 
and the way that he looks at the whole world, but especially God's law. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those anti-smoking commercials. They're very powerful. There's many of them. But what they are trying to do is simply to avail to your mind, to help you understand the truth about smoking. They want to awaken you to the reality. I still remember a commercial from back in the year 2000, 17 years ago, because I can't forget it. I remember it's these trucks pull up outside this huge building in the middle of a city. There's like semi-trucks, there's U-Haul trucks, and all these young people get out, and they open up the doors, and they start pulling out these body bags, probably filled with sand or something like that, and they keep pulling these out, and they're stacking them up in front of this building. And what you find out is they're in front of this, this major corporation, this major tobacco corporation. And this young, hip guy, you know, pulls out a megaphone and he starts yelling up at the corporation, sticking it to the man. And uh, they come to the window and he's yelling up at them and he says, how many people a day do you think die because of tobacco? How many do you think? 10, 20? And then he reveals 1,200 people a day die because of tobacco use. And then you see all of these 1,200 body bags laying around. It's very powerful. And then as it fades to black, In white, the word comes forward, truth. Now, I'm not trying to just pick on smokers. Um, If you've ever heard or seen the movie Supersize Me, uh, the truth has let you know that if you are on a healthy living kick, McDonald's is not the place to go. You see, in both of these, whether it be the commercial or the movie, what they're trying to do is they're trying to take the blinders off and show you the truth. And let the truth shape the way that you live your life. In a very similar way, this is what God does with his word. He wants to show us what is right, what is true, what is good. To take the blinders off of us that we might do what is right and true and good. But the difference is, is that God not only informs us, but he actually empowers us to know and understand the truth. You know, there's that passage on the Mace Road where Jesus, after his Uh, resurrection is is going on Emmaus Road with two of his disciples, and he unfolds the law and the prophets, Old Testament, showing them that it all points to him. And then after he does this, it says that Jesus then opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, to, to renew our minds and to continue to renewal our minds to understand the truths of God's word. You know, it's so interesting when Jesus was asked to summarize God's law. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. God is concerned on your mind. God wants you to know him, not just in your heart, but in your head. God has not given us a mind to put on the shelf, but to study God. We can do that through reading his word, through memorizing his word, by gathering in in Bible studies. We can do that by reading authors. We can also do that through podcasts while we're driving. There's many ways to fill your brain. But Paul is saying this is so extremely important because God has given you a renewed mind. In next chapter in Romans 8 verse 6, Paul says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Let me ask you something. How are you feeding your mind for Christ? Are you meditating on God's word, studying it diligently, 
It may seem academic. It may seem rote to you, but this is what God says. He says, I've given you a renewed brain to know and to understand and to learn and to grow, even if your heart's not in it. Study, learn, know. How do we do this for our kids? How do, we, how do we fill their minds with the things of Christ and family devotions and Awana and youth group and things of that sort? God has given us a renewed mind to know what is right and true and good. And this is what causes the war within. Because while our mind is renewed and our heart is renewed and it knows right from wrong, there is a, another owner of our body, who was there previously, who does not want to give up control, the owner of sin and flesh. And so waging against this renewed mind is a rebellious flesh. Now, I want to kind of just read back through this passage, and it may seem a little bit redundant, but what I want to do in this is I want you to focus on two words that are very prominent here. One of the words is sin, which you are probably familiar with. It's it's disobeying God and his law and chasing after other things. But the other word in this is the word flesh. And flesh is used in a lot of different ways in the New Testament. But particularly here, think of flesh as simply as your human nature, your earthly nature apart from divine influence, okay? So we're going to kind of skim through this. Verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, meaning it's from the Holy Spirit, it's right and good. But I am of the flesh, sold under Sin, that is a strong phrase. Verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Have you ever thought this? Have you ever thought, man, what was I doing? What was I thinking? Why did I respond that way? Why did I say that thing? Why did I get so angry? Why did I get so mad? Why did I lash out the way I did? That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, he's saying, I wasn't thinking. What was I doing? I can't believe I did that. Verse 17. He says, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. And then he specifies, okay? Because God, the Holy Spirit, is good and is in him. He says, That is in my flesh and his human nature. For I have the desire in his renewed mind and his renewed heart. He has a desire to do what is right, but not the ability in his flesh to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Because God has and is renewing our mind. We are no longer ignorant of sin. We are no longer ignorant of what is sin and what isn't sin. We are no longer ignorant of the destruction and devastation of sin. We are no longer ignorant that our sin is extremely offensive to God. And so we grow to hate our sin. Or at the very least, we hate that we love our sin. Verse 20, Paul continues. He says, now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul is not trying to shift the blame to sin, but what Paul is trying to communicate and to emphasize is the power of of indwelling sin within a believer. And thus the battle within. Verse 21, he says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, a principle, waging war against the law of my mind 
and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then skip down to verse 25, midway through. It's a summary of the passage, I think. A summary of Paul's frustration over this inner battle. He says, So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. If you're here today and you're a theology geek, you probably know the controversy over these verses. In fact, someone came up to me last week and said, how are you going to preach these verses? Which way are you going to take it? You see, the debate is this. Is Paul communicating of what life was like before he was a Christian? Or is Paul communicating what life is like as a Christian? Okay? Uh, There's respectable people who land on both sides of this issue. Um, Those who think that Paul is speaking as someone being before a Christian is because they see some of these really uh, 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 strong phrases like, I am sold under sin, I am of the flesh. These don't seem to be things that, that Christians would say of themselves. But I would respectfully disagree with these people. Personally, I think Paul is talking about a Christian. He's talking about a Christian's experience in life as we battle against our flesh and as we battle against sin. I want to quickly give you five reasons why I think Paul is talking about the Christian life and not the pre-Christian life. First off, in verse 14, Paul shifts to the present tense. Verse 13, Paul says, it was, and in verse 14, Paul says, I am. Secondly, Paul's love for the law is the characteristic of a believer, not an unbeliever. Verse 14, he says, for we know that the law is spiritual, meaning that it's good, that it's right, that it comes from God. Verse 22, he says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. This is not how an unbeliever looks at the law. They may look at it and say, it's, it's holy, it's right, and it's good. But they don't love the law. They hate the law because the law opposes their idols. Because the law stands as condemnation against them. Because the law is a mountain of righteousness that they could never climb. But for the believer, for those who have a renewed mind, a renewed heart, we can look at the law and say, I love it. It's like honey to me. It's like pure gold, pure silver. It is precious to me because it is the gift of a loving father who cares for me and loves, for, loves me and knows that I don't know any better. And so he gives me his law to show me what is the right and wise way to live life before him. And so Paul loves the law. That's the second reason. The third reason why I think Paul is talking about this is the life of a Christian is because of the wrestling that goes in in his life. Verse 15, second half, he says, For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Verse 18, second half, he says, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Verse 23 says, But I see in my members another law, another force, principle, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul is wrestling with sin. He is fighting against sin. You see, there are two forces inside of Paul. One is the Holy Spirit, and the other is his flesh and sin. And so they're waging war against each other, and this wrestling is something that happens with Christians. We'll talk more about that later. The fourth reason why I think Paul is talking as a Christian is because in verse 24, he rejoices in the certain future deliverance that he has from this battle. Again, we'll talk about that later. 
But the fifth reason why I believe Paul is speaking as a Christian and the experience of a Christian is from my own personal experience. See, I can relate to Paul. I, I, I can totally get what Paul is saying here of, of I want to do this. I desire to do this. My mind says doing this is right, but then I go and do that. And, and why do I do it? And the conflict is inside because because God has renewed my mind. He has renewed my heart to know what is right and what is wrong. And when things that I do are wicked, I say, why did I do that? What was I thinking? Paul is identifying for us a war that is within the Christian. So that we do not ignore the war. That we don't remain uninformed of the war. But that we battle in the war. That we fight the good fight against flesh and sin by the power of God. You know, cancer is a word that nobody ever wants to hear. Cancer is a collection of abnormal cells that spread throughout the body. As most of you know, cancer isn't something to joke around about or take lightly because cancer is powerful and it can even kill a person. And so it's so very important that we go to the doctor for early detection. Why? So we can fight against it. You know, someone has cancer, we talk about their fight with cancer or their battle with cancer. You see, when they find out that they have cancer, they don't do nothing. They start fighting against it through several treatments. They could cut away the cancer. They could do chemotherapy, radiation, or a whole host of other treatments, but they fight and they battle against this thing that is within them. And this battle is not easy. It is exhausting. It is tiresome. It is hard work. But if they do not battle against the cancer, the cancer will consume them. They can't be neutral towards it because the cancer will win. In the same way, the Apostle Paul is identifying a spiritual cancer. And here he is giving us early detection, showing us that there is a battle that wages within us and that we must fight against it, that we can't stay neutral We can't do nothing because then the spiritual cancer grows, but we must fight against it by the power of God. Romans 8.13, next chapter from what we're studying today, says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But by the Spirit, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. John Owen is one of the great church fathers, and he wrote a short 86-page little pamphlet called The Mortification of Sin in the Believer. Mortification means to kill or to put to death. And Owen summarizes in that Romans 8 verse 13 by simply saying this. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Pretty simple, isn't it? Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. If you remain neutral towards it, sin will be killing you. But if you fight against it ruthlessly, you will be killing sin. Paul identifies the battle inside between the spirit and the flesh, not so we surrender, not for just mere intellectual information, but so that we will fight the good fight of faith. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul says this. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, talking about fleshly desires, pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And then he says, fight the good fight of faith. 
You know, it's interesting. Just the other day, I was sitting at dinner with some friends, and I asked someone who was a vet, I said, can you help clarify this for me? Is our country currently at war? I'm not sure. Are we technically at war? And we had a good discussion, but then we moved on to other discussion. You can tell me after the service if you know for sure or not. But here's what I do know. Here's what Paul makes crystal clear. If you are a Christian, you are at war. You are at war. There is a war within you, and you can't remain neutral because you will be consumed. Every morning, we must declare war, declare war against sin, declare war against our flesh. We must put it to death because it is the cancer of our soul. Now, I know both from experience and from Paul's words that the fight against sin is not easy. It is exhausting. It is wearisome. But Paul reminds us of a great truth, that we can fight with a great hope that the victory is yet to come. You know, as you read through today's passage, you just notice Paul's frustration through it all. He's like, I don't want to do this, but I do do it, and I don't know why I do it, and ah, right? But then he comes to this great crescendo, almost like he is crying out in utter exhaustion. And in verse 24, he says, Wretched man that I am, who, who will deliver me from this body of death? He knows he can't do it. Who will, future tense, who will deliver me from this wrestling with sin? Who will deliver me from this waging war against the flesh? Who will deliver me? And of course, the answer, verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, friends, at the cross, Jesus delivered you from the penalty of your sin. The penalty of your sin was death. And Jesus died on your behalf to to take care of the penalty of sin. Jesus also died to conquer the power of sin in your life. Now, this doesn't mean that sin is not powerful. Sin is absolutely powerful. But the Holy Spirit is more powerful, and Jesus has given you the Holy Spirit to conquer sin in your life. But you see, there is a day coming when we will meet Jesus face to face, and we will not only celebrate that Christ has conquered the power of sin and the penalty of sin, but that Christ has expelled from our life and from this world the presence of sin. You know, this is something that not only we look forward to, but all of creation does. Again, next chapter in Romans 8, Paul says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There is this great hope that we have a redeeming deliverer who's going to set all things right, who's going to take away our battle with sin. I don't know if we have any Civil War uh, history buffs in here. If we do, I I have a question, a trivia question. What do these five Civil War battles have in common? There's the Battle of Morrisville Station, the Battle of West Point, the Battle of Columbus, the Battle of Anderson, and the Battle of Palmito Ranch. Anybody by chance know what all those battles have in common other than there were guns there and people there and stuff like that? Anybody know what they have in common? 
All five of these battles were fought after the war was won. All five of them. Sometimes they didn't know that the battle was over because they didn't have Twitter or Facebook or, you know, CNN. They didn't know that the battle was over. But some of them just kept battling because they still wanted to win the war. The war which was already completed, already decided. See, General Robert E. Lee surrendered on April 9, 1865. All of these battles took place after that, even though the war had already been decided. Christian, there is a civil war raging in all of us. Flesh against spirit, indwelling sin against a renewed mind and heart. But make no mistake, even though the battle rages on in this life, the war has already been won. It has already been won at the cross. And we will enjoy all the benefits and spoils of victory when we go to be with Jesus. Because we thank God for Jesus, who will free us from the presence of sin. Let me end with this. The Civil War um, began on April 12, 1861, when the Confederate forces fired at Fort Sumner. Uh, as you probably know, the Civil War was one of the most horrific wars in our nation's history, not only because so many people suffered and died, but because it was fighting within the same nation, states against states, fathers against sons, brothers against brothers. Do you know when your Civil War began? Your Civil War began when you became a Christian. Because when you became a Christian, you had two forces at work in your life. Wendy, if you could put up that graphic. Some of you may be familiar with this graphic. It comes from Sonship Material. But it shows that when we become Christians, when we trust in Christ for our salvation, two things happen. We, have, we grow in our awareness of God's holiness. It's not that God becomes more holy, but we grow in our awareness of his holiness. We also grow in awareness of our sinfulness. And then as we grow in the awareness of these things, the cross of Christ becomes bigger and more glorious to us. You know, over the past couple of weeks, we have said this multiple times, but let me say it again. We are not concerned, Christian, if you are struggling with sin. We are concerned if you are not struggling with sin. Because if you are not struggling with sin, then you are not growing in your awareness of God's holiness, and you are not growing in the awareness of your sinfulness. But as you struggle with sin, as you wrestle with sin, as you get up every morning to fight against sin and say, Lord Jesus, please help me this day to fight against sin. As you battle against that sin, know this, that there is a day when the battle will end and when this bottom line will completely disappear. And there will be no more awareness of our sin because there will be no more sin to be aware of. And so we get to spend the rest of eternity growing more aware and more enamored and rejoicing more in the holiness and goodness and love of God. Let's pray. Lord, I confess there are many mornings I wake up and I forget that there's a battle. And that is a detriment to my soul. And so God, I pray for the grace of awareness in our lives the grace of awareness that there is a battle, a, a civil war going within our hearts, within our lives, Lord, and we would wake up and that we would go to battle against it, Lord, but that we would not go alone, that we would go by the grace and the power 
of your Holy Spirit at work in us. Lord, make us a dependent people, a people dependent on your Holy Spirit to change us and transform us and to give us victory over sin until that day when we join with you and sin no more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.